and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes, but, well, has some, st- has some questions. In short, the program's designed for, well, for me, because, you know, there's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily something that's been soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bothering me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch-style talk with the pastor is often the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Kirk Clayton of Zion Lutheran Church in Muscoota, Illinois. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. You can send the questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org, or you can call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, that number is 314-821-0850. Or anywhere in the lower 48, you can call in toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Clayton, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be with you. Glad to have you back again. You know, I've been um, thinking a lot because the, uh, you know, we have this this coronavirus thing going on, and and uh, you know, it occurs to me that things like disease and plague are mentioned frequently in the Bible, and in fact, I think we we know that God has used them for His purposes. I mean, go back to, for example, the Book of Exodus with the plagues that were visited upon Egypt and, of course, the uh, what happened to the Assyrian army outside of Jerusalem. So I'm wondering about that. Does God really use disease? Does he, uh, how should we respond to it? Did Luther have any views on this thing? Well, what do you think? Well, um, we certainly would be very confident to say as we would with St. Paul, that God works all things for the good of his people. We would also confess, faithful to Scripture, that God ultimately is the one who is in authority over all things. And so whether we experience great joy in life or great suffering or sickness, God is in control. And ultimately, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, God's will is being done. Now, we don't always necessarily understand God's will. We don't always necessarily see how it is that God is working for the good. We, we frankly don't have a terribly firm grasp of what is good in God's view. Um, but we ultimately trust that God is working for his will to be done. Now, we see uh, a very interesting example of this on Monday, Thursday, as Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays that if it would be his Father's will, that he, Jesus, would not have to face suffering and death. And yet Jesus himself says, yet not my will, but your will be done. And God's will at that point was, graciously for the salvation of all who put their trust in Jesus, that he would, in fact, go to the cross and carry the tremendous burden and suffer the incredible pain there and, in fact, face death. 
And so God's will and God's good and gracious plan for us at times do involve suffering and death, even as it did for Jesus Christ himself. And so we certainly could say that God is at work in every situation, whether it's a time of joy and health and prosperity or a time of plague. And in fact, God is working all of these situations to bring about his ultimate goal, which is our reunion with him. Uh, now, how exactly those details play out is frankly beyond the reaches of our feeble human brains because God is simply so much beyond, as we would say with uh, St. Paul, that the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And so uh, it's never a good idea to second-guess God and say, you know, God, this plague that you've sent, this COVID-19 that we're going through now, that really isn't a good idea, and uh, we, we don't appreciate that. Uh, it's never a good idea to second-guess God because even his foolishness is far beyond what we can understand, much less his wisdom. But we do recognize that God is the one ultimately who is in control, and we receive all things from his hand as a uh, gracious gift. And that, that seems very strange to us today, to think of receiving even suffering and death from God's hand as a gracious gift. When I when I have a little bit of discomfort or uh, anxiety in my life, I, uh, I struggle and I, I tend to say, you know, God, take this away. Why are you doing this to me? Whereas the, the wiser view is to say, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity for me to be turned back to you. Thank you for this opportunity in suffering. Thank you for this opportunity in plague for me to refocus on what is most important. And thank you for this opportunity to suffer to draw us to you. That, that's an incredibly foreign thought in our 21st century Western mind, but it is, I think, the mind of Scripture. And so that that all by way of preface is a way of saying, yes, Scripture deals with this topic, and yes, Luther deals with this topic too, and we can certainly unpack that. But that's just some, some, some brief preliminary thoughts there, Kip. <laughs> I hear that. And, and as you pointed out, God is in charge of everything. We know that. And yeah, these diseases, for whatever reason, God has created them, and he's using them for his purposes. Um. I have to say there are times when I wonder about it. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned before I'm a widower, and uh, my wife's death was not an especially pleasant one. Uh, she suffered a, uh, a disease that uh, took her down over about 18 months worth of, uh, about 18 months. And uh, I have a hard time reconciling that with a loving God. I know that he did this for a purpose. I know that, but it's hard. Mm -hmm. And what comfort we have, even if not understanding, but comfort in knowing that 
we and our loved ones are not alone in death or in facing death, but that Jesus himself went through death for us and with us, and that he then truly can be with us and with our loved ones every step of the way, and that, in fact, uh, death is not the end of life, but the beginning of life. There's a, there's a tremendous... Um, story I, I i've never heard that it was uh, is is questioned of one of the uh the the saints on his deathbed i'm trying to think if it might have been one of the wesley brothers uh and as he was dying uh he opened his eyes uh towards the very end and said ah i see i'm still in the land of the living <laughs> and he thought for a minute and said no i see i'm still in the land of the dying soon I will be in the land of the living. And through the eyes of faith and the understanding of faith, we can see that our entire world is but a slow and steady march towards death, but that life is not really what we experience now. Uh, life, as God ultimately intends, is in fact what awaits after death. And so um, we might think about it this way, that we have, um, many of us have family members or friends that are some distance from us. And um, the, the older I get, the less I particularly relish travel, uh, whether it's by car or by plane or whatever mode. Uh, and so, uh, for example, much of my family lives about a three and a half, four hour drive from where I live in western Missouri. And so uh, I don't particularly relish locking myself and my wife and six children in a small enclosed vehicle and, you know, <laughs> spending, uh, spending that time uh, battling uh, crazy drivers and road rage and all such. I don't particularly look forward to the time of the journey necessarily. But I certainly look forward to the reunion and being with family members. And so Christians are blessed with just a very, very different view of death. That, yes, on one hand, death is the enemy. Death is not what God ultimately originally had intended for us. Uh, death is the result of sin and the, and the work of Satan. But death also is that journey, granted that unpleasant journey, but the journey to reunion with God. And so while I don't necessarily uh, relish the idea of jumping in a vehicle and spending three and a half to four hours that I won't get back of my life on the road, I look forward to the reunion of family on the other side. And so I don't necessarily personally, look forward to death, and uh, even less so the, the process of dying, perhaps, uh, and the illness and sometimes the, the suffering that goes along with that. But while we don't necessarily look forward to the journey, we certainly look forward to the reunion with a loved one and that most blessed loved one, our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the journey. And even through that journey, 
still wonderful blessings, wonderful things can happen. And, and I, I don't want to um, don't want to uh, throw my my wife and children under the bus here too much, <laughs> or under the uh, the twelve passenger van, as the case may be in a, in our specific case, because even on that journey, we can have times of great joy together. And so also, as a beloved brother or sister in Christ is approaching death, we can have um, sometimes uh, very special times of care and even joy with that person. I I think of various loved ones uh, close to me who have uh, entered the, the eternal reward waiting for those whose trust is in Christ. And uh, as, as death approaches, kind of all of the, the, the fluff, all of the, the silliness um, oftentimes seems to, to fall to the wayside. And there are times where you can really focus on what is most treasured. Um, and so we have those times perhaps to share and express thoughts that, that we hadn't before. Um, and so even through the uh, journey through the valley of the shadow of death, for one thing, we know that our Lord is with us, but we also then have the opportunity, even in suffering and sorrow, to experience God's blessing of uh, the love that we share for each other. And then, of course, recognizing that at the end of the journey comes the reunion with family, and especially with our our most beloved, dearest family member, uh, our Lord Jesus himself. Well... Yeah, I can see that. It's 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 a convoluted way to do it, um, and you know I agree with 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 you that uh, you know I don't I don't fear death. I don't think any Christian can fear death. I do fear the process of dying. Uh, I have seen it up close too many times, and it is not a pleasant thing to to witness. And I'm sure it won't be a pleasant thing for me to go through. Uh, unless I'm like my brother died in his sleep, you know, so God bless him. That's the way I'd love to go. Uh, but that's not necessarily what's going to happen. And, um, I'm trying to think of the, um, the lessons that God is using to teach us. Uh, for example, nursing the sick, nursing the dying, nursing the diseased, which is a, a Christian, it's a Christian thing to do, a Christian duty. Could this possibly be part of it? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, as I look at, as we're thinking about the, the topic of COVID-19, I'm almost wondering if I'm seeing a bit of a, a kind of a, a differentiation between a Christian view of care during COVID-19 and a non-Christian view of care in COVID-19. And this is something that certainly existed in the days of the early church when the prevailing culture in the time of the early church was Roman paganism. Um, And whereas today, at least for quite some time, perhaps the strongest force in culture was 
a sense or a form of Christianity, uh, and now there is a growing uh, falling away from that. So we're kind of in the, the reverse situation, but, but in some ways also very similar to where the early church was, whereas uh, the early church was in Roman pagan culture and trying to make inroads of Christianity. We perhaps are in a, a culture that still has strong inroads of Christianity, but a growing um, reverting to kind of like a, a Roman pagan uh, mentality. And uh, here's what happened during times of plague in Roman paganism. Um, and this is documented by a, uh, a bishop of Alexandria named Dionysius about um, 250 AD. Uh, he wrote that the pagans in time of plague thrust aside anyone who began to be sick and kept aloof even from their dearest friends and cast the sufferers out upon the public roads half dead and left them unburied and treated them with utter contempt when they died. And what uh, Dionysius of Alexandria is showing here from 250 AD is that in the Roman pagan mindset, there really was very little to no hope for anything after death. And so the, the fear was that I only have this life, and so I need to cling to it for all that I have and try to avoid suffering and pain with everything that I have because this is all that I have. And so that this worldly view led to Roman pagans in the time of Dionysius of Alexandria throwing their sick plague-stricken loved ones aside, casting them out into the roads and fleeing, abandoning them. Now, by contrast, Christians recognize that this life is not all that we have. In fact, uh, as St. Paul says, if it is for this life only that we have hope, we are most to be pitied. But because Jesus is risen from the dead, then our hope is not just for this life, but for the life of the world to come. He makes that argument in the great resurrection chapter of the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So by contrast, this is how Dionysius of Alexandria describes Christians during a plague that broke out in 250 AD. He writes, Very many of our brethren, while in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness, did not spare themselves, but kept by each other, and visited the sick without thought of their own peril, and ministered to them and treated them for their healing in Christ and died from time to time most joyfully, drawing upon themselves their neighbor's diseases, and willingly taking over to their own persons the burden of the sufferings of those around them. We see this tremendous 
difference in that pagans were so fearful of death, they would abandon their loved ones and they would leave them in the streets and flee. Christians, on the other hand, who did not have this same fear of death, recognized the dignity of all life, whether healthy or ill, whether um, you know seemingly uh, sound or infirm, strong or weak, and since all life was a gift of God, and all of us are created in the image and dignity of God, Christians then extended that love and care to all that they found. And there were times, in fact, that Christians would care for those who had been stricken with the plague, and the Christians themselves then contracted the plague from that care and at times died. Uh, and I believe they were, in fact, considered as martyrs and heroes of the faith for the way that they had lived the love that God shows to us. Um, and so Christians had an extremely different view of care uh, during this plague in 250 AD, as documented by Dionysius of Alexandria. Now, I wonder how much I'm seeing that out a bit in our COVID-19 plague today. I especially see that perhaps in terms of faithful, caring pastors who very desperately want to get into hospitals, want to get into nursing homes, want to get into assisted care facilities to bring the hope of the gospel in word and sacraments to our members that are there. And in, in fact, in many cases, we are being prevented from doing that. It's not that we want to abandon our loved ones. We are being forced to have no contact with our loved ones by a prevailing mentality that simply fears death above all things, uh, fears death more than it fears isolation and loneliness and separation from loved ones. And I don't know that that's a healthy balance. In fact, I, I would say that is a very unhealthy balance. And uh, I, I think it's an unchristian balance. I think to say you are not allowed to be with your loved one because there might be the possibility that you would infect them or they would infect you, uh, I think is an unhealthy and an unwarranted fear caused by this plague. Whereas we are not called to live in fear, we are called to live in love and care. There's a, a great little uh, cliche that I've heard various times over these, these last few months, and it goes like this. Fear doesn't prevent death. Fear prevents life. Or a little bit maybe better phrased, fear doesn't prevent dying. Fear prevents living. And we as Christians can't be sucked into the secular worldly fear of COVID and fear of suffering and death so much that we abandon our loved ones and don't provide care and presence with them and for them. Uh, as Christ has come to be with us, so we are called to be with others and with those around us and support
support them and care for them. Uh, and in many ways, unfortunately, we're being prevented from doing that, I think, based on a, a very secular and uh, borderline pagan view that uh, death is the worst possible thing to be avoided at all costs. Well, as strange as this sounds, in a Christian view, no. Death is not the worst possible thing to be avoided at all costs. Separation, in fact, is quite possibly a worse thing than death itself. And separation is to be avoided at all costs. And we should find every opportunity to strengthen and encourage one another and support each other by being together. And pastors, by all means, need to be allowed to bring the ministry of word and sacrament, to bring the gospel, to bring the good news to our members who are in care centers, in hospitals, um, regardless of, I mean, not, not being not being uh, irresponsible, um, but using all proper precautions to bring the good news of the gospel to people rather than isolating them and shutting them off by themselves. Uh, that is, in my mind, a fate, I don't say this lightly, a fate worse than death. But we don't fear death. We work to bring Christ's peace and comfort to all in every situation, including dying and death, but all stages leading up to that as well. I just wonder how much this this forced separation from loved ones is really based on a very unchristian mentality that we must fear and avoid death at all costs, as opposed to a Christian reality that Christ, in fact, has died for us and risen again, and through his life, we have no fear of death, but instead can comfort and care for people even in death, recognizing that we then uh, have the opportunity to rise with Christ as he did. Interesting perception there. And I've got some questions about that, uh, but we got to take a break right now at the bottom of the hour, so let's keep that thought. There's a lot going on. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. 
The idea that our creation is the result of a fluke, an accident, is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Trinity Lutheran Church at 8 a.m. and Village Lutheran Church at 1040, as well as Bible studies from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 930. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Home is truly where the heart is. With four littles at home, life is always an adventure, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you thrive with purpose. Whether you and your spouse are planning on having your first child or you're welcoming another bundle of joy to your family, a new baby is a good reason to reevaluate your finances. First things first, take inventory of where you're currently at and map out steps needed to get to where you want to go. Having a financial professional walk you through a comprehensive financial strategy can provide invaluable benefits when family planning. And also make sure you're optimizing your current health insurance, that you're saving for the unexpected, and that you're building a blueprint for your child that includes every stage of life through college and beyond. Welcoming a new family is one of life's biggest blessings, and a few simple steps can have a profound impact on your finances and safeguard your family's future. This is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you thrive with purpose. Back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I am program host Kip Allen. My guest, pa- my guest pastor today is Kirk Clayton with Zion Lutheran Church in Muscoota, Illinois. We are discussing the role of disease in God's plan. Sometimes we don't think about that, and you know this. I started thinking about it a lot because of this COVID thing. Uh, Clay, uh, Kirk, the one of the things I, I did want to get to here. Um, my uh, my grandfather was a, a Lutheran pastor, and I remember uh, my mother and my grandmother telling me that when the uh, Spanish flu came through in 1919, uh, he sent his family, my, my mother, grandmother, and my aunts, out of uh, St. Louis, where they were based, uh, where the, the uh, Spanish flu was raging, uh, and he sent them uh, up to, I believe it was St. Paul, where the... The flu was not so severe. Well, he stayed here in St. Louis and waited for the uh, for the thing to subside. And I'm also reminded that uh, Luther was in, uh, I think it was Wittenberg, when uh, bubonic plague broke out in that city. And uh, I think he wrote a letter talking about that, whether, whether people should stay or leave or what they should do. Am I right about that? Yes, uh, this was from 1527. Uh, Luther wrote to a uh, pastor, Johann Hess, who was pastor in the town of Breslau, and the bubonic plague was raging at that time in 1527, and Pastor Hess had written a letter to Luther asking whether it was proper for a Christian to run away from a deadly plague. 
and Luther wrote a, a very lengthy and very well thought out response to uh, Pastor Hess of Breslau. And basically, Luther's response is uh, very much in line with what you said your grandfather did during the Spanish flu outbreak of 1918. Whether or not to stay or to flee in a time of plague for Luther depends on what you have been called to do to provide care for your neighbor. If you are in a profession where it is your calling to provide care of one way or another for your fellow man, then by God's placing you in that vocation, you are duty-bound to make sure that the people under your care are provided for. Uh, that might be the ministry. So, for example, in the case of your grandfather, he recognized that he had a congregation that God had placed under his care to hear the word of God from him, to receive the sacrament from him, to receive care in times of sickness and death from him. And if your grandfather, as the pastor, were to have left because of the threat of the Spanish flu, then he would have been abandoning his sheep, abandoning the people that God had placed under him for his care. Now, your grandmother and your, uh, I guess, was it your father and siblings, did I, not. No, it was um, uh, my, <laughs> he raised a slew of girls. <laughs> your, your mother. So, okay. so, yeah, so my mother and uh, her sisters, my aunts. Your mother and your aunts. Yeah, aunts, uh, plural. There were something like four of them. Yeah. <laughs> four or five. Did, they did not have that same vocation of caring for the congregation. And so, since God had not placed them in a position of uh, needing to provide care for that congregation, they then were free to leave. So, in fact, what your grandfather put into practice is exactly the advice that Luther gives to Pastor Hess of Breslau from 1527, that if a person has charge of taking care of people, that person needs to make sure that the people are cared for. If a person does not have that responsibility, then they can remove themselves from the situation. Now, this does not only apply to pastors. Luther seems to apply this in his letter to, for example, uh, town magistrates who are uh, given the charge of making sure that uh, life in a village is conducted peaceably and in good order. And so in our version of town magistrate today, we might be talking about mayor, city council, uh, police officers, peace officers, um, that these are people that God has placed in their positions. We don't always think about that either, but God has placed them in those positions to uh, make sure that society functions decently in good order and safety and that um, you know the rights of all citizens are respected. And they need to stay and do the jobs that God has placed them into. Um, 
Now, Luther does say something like, you know, if the, uh, let's say the city treasurer finds somebody else to fill that position so that the the society can t- continue to functioning smoothly, then they can leave. But they can't leave if they don't have somebody to do the job that they have been placed there to do. We might also think about, in our context today, uh, firefighters, doctors, nurses, um, ambulance personnel and so on and while this is kind of a political football hot topic uh, many states and the federal government have not considered pastors to be in that same list of essential workers luther absolutely places them there that the pastor absolutely has the responsibility to his parish to stay and care for those in need. Now, the pastor's family does not have that same vocation, and so as happened with your mother and grandmother and aunts, they could uh, move to a safer location, but your grandfather did exactly the right thing and the thing that Luther calls on him to do by staying and bringing that word and sacrament ministry that is so needed to his people. Now, Luther goes into a lot other detail in this letter as well, such as, you know, um, the problem of people who who flee and don't leave their jobs cared for so that the order is disrupted and people are not being faithful to the vocation that God has called them to. That's a problem. But Luther also points out that there are those who um, who are irresponsible, who don't necessarily need to stay in a location, but they do just because they're, they're kind of fatalistic, kind of throwing their hands up and saying, well, you know, whatever will happen will happen, and, and if I die, then, you know, I deserve it because I'm a sinner. And he says, well, yes, you do, but <laughs> um, that doesn't give you the, the excuse to be irresponsible. And so, in fact, he, he indicates that if you stay in a time of plague and then are uh, involved in, in spreading that plague to someone else by your carelessness, he basically treats that as someone who is either um, committing suicide or a murderer. And so Luther describes people who are much too rash and reckless, tempting God and disregarding everything which might counteract death and the plague. They disdain the use of medicines. They do not avoid places and persons infected by the plague, but lightheartedly make sport of it and wish to prove how independent they are. They say that it is God's punishment. If he wants to protect them, he can do so without medicines or our carefulness. This is not trusting God, but tempting him. God has created medicines and provided us with intelligence to guard and take good care of the body so that we can live in good health. If one makes no use of intelligence or medicine when he could do so without detriment to his neighbor, such person injures his body and must be aware lest he become a suicide in God's eyes. By the same reasoning, a person might forego eating and drinking, clothing and shelter, and boldly proclaim his faith that if God wanted to preserve him from starvation and cold, he could do so without food and clothing. Actually, that would be suicide. It is even more shameful for a person to pay no heed to his own body and to fail to protect it against the plague the best he's able, and then to infect and poison others who might have remained alive if he'd taken care of his body as he should have. 
he thus is responsible for God before God for his neighbor's death and is a murderer many times over. Indeed, such people behave as though a house were burning in the city and nobody were trying to put the fire out. Instead, they give leeway to the flames so that the whole city is consumed, saying that if God so willed, he could have saved the city without water to quench the fire. And so Luther makes the point here that on the one hand, we can certainly isolate ourselves or quarantine or in the case of your grandmother and mother and aunts, leave the area to preserve health and safety, not only for themselves, but also for others. But Luther says that if someone chooses to stay and acts recklessly and carelessly infects others, that person uh, acting in selfishness rather than love is in effect a murderer and that God could hold him accountable for the deaths of his neighbors, the people around, who were infected and got, in Luther's case, the bubonic plague because of his or her carelessness. And so there is a very fine line. If we are called by God to a vocation where we have the responsibility to care for others, we must carry out that vocation, regardless of risk or danger to ourselves. Because after all, we uh, we don't cling to this life with everything we have because we recognize that a far greater life is coming. And so we have no reservations. We have no fear about serving, even in situations of risk or danger, uh, because God has called us to do that. If we don't have those responsibilities, we can certainly isolate, quarantine, go elsewhere, flee. But if we are reckless and due to our irresponsibility cause others to get sick or even to die needlessly, then Luther calls us a murderer. That's interesting. Um, I'm wondering, uh, for example, we... uh... The, the concept of, of right now where, where people are wearing the masks in public and when they go to a store, like I, I always put always wear a mine. Um, would that perhaps be a case of, uh, of a person who refuses to do it, being careless and perhaps uh, actually endangering, endangering their, their neighbors? That could certainly be... Um an interpretation of that. The the big question is, um, are masks, in fact, effective in keeping a person safe and, and uh, slowing or stopping the spreading of the virus? And I've seen indications both ways. Um, in fact, Uh, I I haven't read the article myself, so I'm speaking secondhand here, but going back to what you'd referenced, the Spanish flu epidemic of uh, 1918, I have heard that uh, Dr. Fauci, who's advocating using masks for COVID-19, had written a very strong article saying that masks were uh, deadly, during the Spanish flu epidemic because it, in fact, trapped the germs closer to the person's mouth and nose where they're being breathed in more so, and that people who wore masks actually uh, got sick with the Spanish flu and died at a much higher rate 
than those who didn't wear masks. And now I said, I have not read the article from Dr. Fauci, but that's what I have heard that he argued about the Spanish flu. Now he's arguing for COVID that people should wear masks. And I've you know, seen and heard things that say that the, um, you know, the, the virus particle is so small that there's virtually no mask that, that stops it, that the masks really are, are not effective in this case. I, so I can't get into the science. I'm not... Uh, I'm not an epidemiologist. I am not a um, I'm not a medical doctor. Um, I don't know the the chemical makeup or the physical makeup of the masks. But uh, so if the masks are scientifically ineffective, then no, I wouldn't say that you're doing any harm by wearing them or not. If the masks are and you believe the science to be absolutely conclusive that the masks are effective in uh, stopping the the COVID virus, or at least uh, slowing it, then yes, the argument that you make would be absolutely correct, that we would be reckless and um, potentially uh, causing uh, causing death and being guilty of sin and murder if we choose not to wear a mask, if that mask in fact is effective in uh, stopping the spread of COVID. And I just, I don't, I don't know enough about the, the, um, the absolute science to make it a, a, a determination either way. I've, I've read things on both sides and I, I'm j- I just am not going to uh, <laughs> play medical doctor and, and make an absolute definitive statement there. Well, the one thing I've read uh, is that, well, you're quite correct. I mean, the a mask won't stop a virus from going through it. It's too small. But the virus doesn't just float around like that. It, it travels on, on little droplets and things like that that are indeed filtered out by the mask, or at least that's, that's the theory. Um, another thing I look at, uh, for example, when I go grocery shopping, the, uh, the store I go to has a very strict policy. You know, you got to wear a mask. And to my mind, that's the same thing as if I go to a, a, another store and it says no shirt, no shoes, no service. You know, that's their establishment, and they have the right to set the rules. Right. And as Christians, according to uh, Romans 13, we would respect the governing authorities and those who set those policies and would, um, you know, respect the the boundaries that are set up until such time as they would contradict the Word of God, because we also see from, I believe it's Acts chapter 6, we must obey God rather than man. I certainly don't see uh, wearing masks as any sort of contradiction of God's Word. Um, and so if a store, for example, does say, you know, um, you must wear masks to enter this facility, uh, as Christians respecting authorities over us, um, we would follow that because it's certainly not contrary to Scripture. Um, now, we might, um, if we feel so so inclined, uh, can urge a reconsideration, but until that reconsideration would happen, uh, we should certainly um, support the, the authorities around us. Well, yeah, I think that makes sense. But, you know, you raised the issue earlier, and I've heard it before, about how the secular government is not considering churches and pastors to be essential workers. Um, certainly the the society we live in today is much more secular than it was uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. 
maybe this is a symptom of it. And uh, I know, for example, my pastor is, is very unhappy that he cannot visit his parishioners who are in nursing homes and hospitals, even severe restrictions on funerals. And uh, I know he's very upset about that. And that certainly is very contrary to the advice and the guidance that Martin Luther gives to uh, Reverend Dr. Johann Hess of Breslau. Um, he goes through and describes how, of course, Christians need to be responsible and not, uh, through their carelessness, cause the, the death of others and so on. But then he goes on later and says... Even in light of the plague, first, one must admonish the people to attend church and to listen to the sermon so that they learn through God's word how to live and how to die. Now, when was the last time you heard a sermon on how to die? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, Luther points out that even in times of plague, he said, first, go to church. First, one must admonish the people to attend church and listen to the sermon. Second, Luther says, everyone should, be, should prepare in time and get ready for death by going to confession and taking the sacrament once every week or fortnight. And so Luther's top two bits of advice in times of plague are, one, hear a sermon. Two, confess your sins and receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, there's no question in Luther's mind in this letter, church is essential. Now, those that should be going to church are those that, that have the responsibility to stay and can't uh, escape and, and be safer elsewhere. But for those whose vocation it is to serve and to be in that situation of, of difficulty, Luther says, first, go to church and hear the sermon. Second, confess your sins, receive absolution, and receive the sacrament. And so, absolutely, that time together in God's house is absolutely essential in Luther's view. And uh, I don't think Luther is, uh, you know, standing alone there. I think he stands very solidly with God's intent in Scripture, that we are told, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. We are called to be together in worship. And certainly, Scripture, including in the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, certainly considers worship and gathering together in church to be essential. And I think in God's plan... One of the reasons that that is, is because God has created us as a social people. God has, I was at a, um, a program put on by Doxology a few months back. It was a respite relief called Take Heart, uh, Strength and Confidence for Demanding Days, again, sponsored by Doxology, specifically in, result, in uh, response to um, covid and uh, on the first day of the conference, uh, Dr. Bevyanki shared some amazing statistics about the damage being done in our society today in, in COVID because of separation and because of isolation. Dr. Yanki mentioned that before COVID, uh, the, the rate of depression in the United States population was about 8.5%. In the last few months after COVID, that rate of depression 
in the general United States population has more than tripled to 27 to 33%. So depression rates have gone from 8.5% before COVID to up to 33% now after COVID. Uh, hotline calls for people in, in distress increased 1,000% this past summer and last few months during COVID. Mm. Uh, people are crying out in despair because of this isolation and because of the separation that's being forced because of COVID. A very startling, so, sober statistic, among 18 to 24-year-olds, one in four, 25%, have seriously considered suicide in the last six months. And you can't attribute this entirely 100% to COVID, but you certainly can't leave it out either. Well, we're seeing a rise in these in these statistics. We're seeing a rise in violent crime. We're seeing a, a rise in domestic abuse. We're seeing a rise in all sorts of violence that's going on. People are, are getting... Well, as you pointed out, we're social animals, and there there are fallout effects here. There's unintended consequences that I don't think have been fully thought out by those in authority. We uh, we had a knee jerk reaction of fear, and that knee jerk reaction of fear, you know, now what nine ten months ago, mm. I think in the long hindsight of history, will be seen to be less than helpful in the overall progression of COVID-19. Instead, as God has designed us to support and encourage one another and share life together, we do need to see church as absolutely essential. We do need to follow Luther's admonition first, attend church and hear sermons so that we can learn how to live and in fact also learn how to die. Second, as Luther says, we need to be going to confess our sins and receive absolution. We need to be receiving the Lord's Supper. And that doesn't happen by yourself. That happens in the family of faith. And so absolutely, we need to be together in church. And over the last six or eight months or so that we've been back in in-person worship here at Zion, there is... Um, at various times, people then say, okay, now I'm comfortable with where, where we're at, and I'm going to come back to church in person. And there is, there is a palpable, tangible joy at being back together in the physical presence of our fellow brothers and sisters, believers in Christ. Um, and I have a, a particular joy in seeing, oh, I, I have not seen this person for nine months, and now here they are back in church. And what a joy it is to look them in the eye again and to be able to see physically how they're doing and for them to be able to, you know, from sometimes from a distance, sometimes wearing masks, interact with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, Pastor Campbell, it, Pastor Clayton, we are just about out of time now. Uh, and I would like to remind our listeners that if you cannot, if your church is closed down for whatever reason, you can listen to our services here at Worldwide KFUO. We cannot obviously give you the sacraments, but we can bring the services to you. So any final thoughts? you got about uh, 20 seconds. <laughs> 
Yeah. So um, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but encourage one another all the more as we see the day of our Lord approaching. And we we trust that that day brings not uh, in the end death, but life. And so we don't live in fear, but in joy of the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Pastor, thank you so much for being on the program. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.